life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Casually Profound series, where conversations create deeper connections with others and yourself, where every interaction is an opportunity to laugh, think, and feel fully, where magical moments happen spontaneously and abundantly. This series has discussions that transcend the surface level of what people do or who they are in the outer world. It aims to normalize thinking. I hope for all those engaged in this discussion, including myself, the guest, and especially you, the active listener, we stop and ponder on the ultimate question, who am I really? All while enjoying every second of it, of course. And we're live. How's it going? How's it going? It's going well, Sai. How's it going with you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hey, everyone. This is another episode of the Casually Profound series of the Size Eyes podcast. Today, this evening, I'm spending a beautiful evening with Surasya Guduru at the Embassy Suites Hotel up near uh, Charlotte, uh, near Concord, North Carolina, near the Speedway. So if you haven't been, check that Speedway out. <laughs> um, but yeah, is there anything you just want to get us started off with? I just wanted to thank you, Sai, for inviting me on this podcast. Like I, you know, I've been telling people about how I just feel so honored to like, you know, not only to to know you and to be able to call you a friend, but um, the fact that you've invited me on here along with so many people that you look up to. Um, I just am so grateful for the for the friendship that we have and for the conversations we have in the past, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, for, for those listening, I met Sarasia uh, actually just this year in 2021 when one of our mutual friends, shout out Manasi, um, <laughs> uh, she connected us. I think she was reading one of my like blog posts and then she was, I think she reached out to me like, hey, I think this person would be fun to, um, or like, I think you guys think similarly, it'd be cool to reach out and, and see. So she connected us and, you know, we, ha- we don't necessarily talk too often, but when we do talk, it's, you know, it's not your normal 30-minute hour conversation. Exactly. It's, it's many hours long. <laughs> um, so in a way, we'll have to keep this podcast conversation short, if you will. <laughs> um, but I'll just kind of start, it out, start us off with uh, something um, I'm grateful for, and then you can share uh, what you're grateful for as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I guess today I'm just, I think, really grateful for um, family and just being able to, because since I'm going back this coming week to back to Kansas City. I'm looking forward to spending quality time with my parents, with my brother, with my cat. Um, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just being able to connect with them on a deeper level because, you know, I'll be back home for two or three weeks and it's going to be a nice time to kind of uh, unplug, recharge, sure. plan for the next year yes. and, um, and really reflect on how my year has gone, how my quarter has gone, yeah. um, both personally and professionally, and um, ready to level up going into 2022. So I'm really looking forward to family and um, re-energizing myself. That's how about you? Fantastic, Sai. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned at the beginning that um, you know I'm very grateful for your friendship, and it's it's so wonderful to hear about um, you know you going home for the holidays. Uh, I think one thing that 
I've been overwhelmingly thinking about over the past few months is just the community here in Charlotte, you know, including yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's so many people here who've just been so lovely and so accepting and um, especially after COVID, I think my biggest fear coming back to Charlotte and being so far away from my family was um, whether I'd be able to, to connect with people as easily, whether I'd be as close to my friends or whether I'd be able to make new ones. Um, and I think it's just been a beautiful blend of the two where I have been able to maintain old friendships and um, I've made, you know, wonderful new ones. So I'm, I'm most grateful for community tonight. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome to hear, Serasia. Um, yeah, so with that gratitude kind of mindset, um, we'll just kind of go into a quick visualization of closing our eyes, sinking deeper into our seats, sinking deeper into our own body and imagining ourselves in this conversation, in this beautiful location, in this amazing setting, having a great conversation, throwing out ideas that we've never thought about before, looking at things ways, looking at things in ways that we've never looked at before, having those moments of casually profound moments and just having that feeling of wow at the end of this conversation this was an insightful meaningful deep conversation that we just had that we were so lucky to have recorded it and shared with ourselves and shared with anyone who's listening soak in that feeling all right awesome I'm ready to have that amazing conversation <laughs> um, so the first question that I want to ask Sarasia is um, who do others think Sarasia Guduru is so you can kind of take this you know very you know, high level or you can kind of go, you know, as deep as you want. So I'll, I'll kind of leave that up to you. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think the way people think of me is contingent upon the environment that they've met me in or that they've gotten yeah. to know me in. Um, but I think an overwhelming kind of theme um, among all of the people that I know is that I think they like to call attention to the fact that... Um, I guess it's kind of been like a theme throughout my life where I'm, I like to think beyond the concrete. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm more of an abstract person. Um, it's, it's one thing I think when you're talking about academics, right? The academic environment, which is the first thing that comes to mind when I think of what people think of me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm a <laughs> decently good student. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think among people who've known me on like a more personal level, it boils down to the fact that like, I think I, I, I like to look beyond surface value at things. Um, yeah. I, I think that's always just been a 
key part of who I am is, is respecting kind of the philosophical, more abstract part of life. Because um, I, I, I think that that's really kind of the, the undercurrent, the fluid that keeps us all going, even if we yeah. don't necessarily notice it. Right, yeah. So I mean, so I guess how would you, is there an example of like something that you would say maybe in the education context mm -hmm. or outside that is like, is an example of, of you thinking more abstractly versus more concretely? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, if you were to like look at my field of study, for example, yeah. um, like career wise, I'm, I'm very interested in psychiatry. I think it's because um, once again, you're dealing with conditions that a lot of people can't see. Um, mm -hmm. You're dealing with, you know, the, the whole concept of mental health is a very abstract concept. It's very difficult to measure. It's very difficult to discuss in finite quantifiable terms. And so um, mm -hmm. it's just, it's always fascinating. I think human behavior is something that's always intrigued me. Um, and, and it's not something that a lot of people I think like to take note of yeah. you know it's I think for for most people it's it's a very routine way of going about things there's for I've heard a lot of people um, use the phrase there's there's more important things to worry about than abstract ideas right. of like satisfaction or gratitude yeah. um, or even the more you know the negative connotations of abstract ideas like depression or anxiety you know yeah. um, so it's just it's just me recognizing that these so-called not big things to worry about really yeah. are the big things to worry about right. at the end of the day. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I think we spend, I mean, for me, when you say that, it's like you can kind of mm -hmm. lump in, like, happiness into that. Right. It's like, oh, I'll, or even, like, let's say, like, I, I know you're, since we've talked before, I know you're like a pretty spiritual person, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm a very contemplative thinker, you know. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll deal with my health or I'll deal with my spirituality. I'll deal with who I am yeah. like later on in life. Yeah. When, you know, that's like one of the first things like we have to, that I feel like we have to realize Absolutely. so that we can do and be like in this physical like world right yes I think you articulated it perfectly Sai. like um, there's a lot of this idea I think especially around spirituality of it not being so-called like a, a young person's pursuit um, and I think that it very much is a young person's pursuit I think it's it's the you know it's an ideal lens to define yourself through and I think it really helps you to grow into more of the person that you like to show up as in this world yeah, 100%. Is so I guess like one thing that you said is like when you're dealing with something abstract, mm -hmm. inherently you're probably dealing with something that you can't see. Yeah. Right? I guess talk to me about how those things that you can't see, how do you then think about them? I guess like do you feel them or do you like visualize it? Like how, how do you you know, I, I guess, how do you perceive it? Yeah, I think that's such an excellent question because translating like the abstract to something quantifiable, I think can only really happen through feeling or visualizing, like any sort of sensory. I, I think the best way to translate is using like a, 
the sensory mechanism. So yeah, like having, um, you know, like being able to convey, you know, thoughts or, you know, more, more kind of fuzzy, like feelings into something that you can like concretely describe is, is difficult. I think it's difficult for everyone, regardless yeah. of, you know, how, <laughs> how old you are, yeah. <laughs> or how, how philosophical you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I do think that like the biggest way is to kind of, I was actually having a conversation with my roommate about this when yeah. she was mentioning how, like, if, she's ever talking to someone and they're experiencing a lot of emotions and they don't know what those emotions are she asks them to like recount a color you know like what what color do you feel right Mm. now you know if if you were an object right now what object do you like relate yourself as which i think is very helpful for a lot of people myself included when we're trying to translate the abstract into something more concrete Mm. yeah because there's that thing out there of like of people seeing colors or people what is it like like synesthesia. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think I think we've discussed that before. I, yeah, I, I know. Already, I <laughs> sounds familiar. In some conversation <laughs> we've had. Yeah. Um, so, like for you, then, how do you, how do you put that abstract into, in, into that feeling or into that visualizing? Like, do you put colors to it? Do you put different emotions to it? Do you, um, like, write it down in journals like how do do you go about that I think words has always been like a huge vehicle for me Um, it's always just come naturally in terms of me being able to translate feelings into words and uh, being able to I think convey kind of my inner state using using language using writing more specifically yeah Um, and so that's always been it for me I think I've had a lot of people kind of look over my writing and be like how do you write like this and the reason is because whenever I feel like like I have a lot of intense feelings or emotions about something yeah I write it down um, and I think over time I've kind of built this practice of me being able to articulate um, feelings into words yeah and, and in a somewhat adept <laughs> manner right yeah <laughs> no yeah. that's awesome is so I guess how do you kind of because we can express our words in several different ways as mm-hmm. well. It's like one is like writing right. versus like speaking, right? right? I guess, how, how do you see the differences there for you or generally? Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent question. I, I think personally, I find it much easier to write than to speak. Um, uh-huh. I is don't there, know. Is there any reason why? Or? Yeah, I think <laughs> my only speculation is I think with writing, you know, if I were to write you... Um, like a, a controversial statement and just present it to you. It's a lot less intimidating than me saying that statement to you. You know, I, I think a large part of it has to do with kind of like comfort within like the people around you. You know, I think yeah. if you're, um, and, and I think it has to do with quote unquote, you know, when you're speaking, it's easier to open up to certain people than others, at least for me personally. Yeah. Um, and so, that's why I feel like sometimes when I'm when I'm speaking about something that's more abstract, it's more difficult to convey in a more authentic sense because I'm either filtering, you know, based off yeah. of the fact that I, I don't know that person as well, or I'm like, I'm just not giving the full picture of what I think. Um, right. Maybe it's context dependent, so on and so forth. But I think 
with most people, I'm, I'm assuming that it's a similar type of scenario, unless you are you know, a very extroverted person, you feel very comfortable um, kind of bearing yourself out to the world. I think it's a lot easier to, to articulate things in writing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'll give two examples there. So like one mm-hmm. is like, for me, I think I'm the same way where yeah. I, I, I think growing up through school, because yeah. we're taught like, for, for me, I, I don't think I was taught necessarily, but I had this ingrained belief over time that A, that I was not a good writer oh. and, and B, that I didn't like writing, mm-hmm. right? Just because it was like writing to deadline, yes. right? Where you're writing for a specific purpose, yes. right? And it's like, you're trying to create an argument, which is very useful in, in some contexts. Right. However, when you're trying to express your emotions and feelings, it's like you're not writing for a specific purpose other than to just get your thoughts out of your mind, not from your heart in, onto paper. Absolutely. Right? So then you can see it and then you're yes. like, oh, is, this is what I'm feeling or yes. maybe this is not exactly what I'm feeling, but I'll yeah. continue to write and d- go deeper and discover myself, right? Exactly. So that's one way. So I completely relate to that. The counter argument to that is, let's say my manager, mm-hmm. he, so like at work we did like a, um, a Colby assessment. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like, have you? Okay, it's like similar to like a Myers-Briggs or like Mm -hmm. an Enneagram or something like that. Um, And so we, we, at work, we all took one Mm -hmm. and it kind of gives you the, your, your MO basically, your, you know, your mode of operation uh, for specific people. And so with him and I, we love our, we have what we call war rooms. We always have like a, um, you know, one, two, three hour session, just like brainstorming. We'll have a specific topic, but we'll go deep in. Yeah. And so like, I love posing questions and, and I kind of knew this about it, but it was confirmed with a Colby assessment where people like him, he likes to think out loud. Mm. And so like when you're saying like of, of people like, I think like us two, yes. where we express our words in writing, yeah. He likes to express his words like out loud, right? And so I think one of the reasons he likes and I like our war rooms is because I'm, I want to ask the right questions. Right. And when I ask the right questions, it'll get him to think about things in a certain way and he'll start just thinking out loud yeah. and we'll just keep going and, and go down rabbit holes, which are good rabbit holes, or we'll ideate these like amazing ideas. We'll like whiteboard stuff out, That's right? Fantastic. And so it's like, almost complementary kind of skill set mm-hmm. and MO yeah. of like, of expressing our words through speaking and then expressing our words through writing there. Yeah. I don't know if you've met any other people like that yeah. or if you have anything to add there. You know, I think that's, and that makes a lot of sense. I think one thing that immediately came up for me when you said that was the whole idea of like, could a potential barrier to quote unquote thinking out loud be like a fear of being judged because paper doesn't judge you you know you write your feelings Mm. out paper's not going to say anything but when you articulate your thoughts or your feelings to another person there's this added layer of like okay you have a said relationship with this person how is your relationship with this person impacted by the the thoughts or the feelings that you're sharing and in this case if you're in like a work setting or in a work environment and especially if um you know there's like especially if say you are a manager and you're you're in like a you know an, an executive position or in some yeah. sort of you know um i feel like 
perhaps it would be a bit simpler to like relate or like to to communicate how you think or how you feel because there's not necessarily like an added pressure of like uh, a relationship being dissolved or or like um, a negative impact to your words mm. so unless it's like you know inappropriate right yeah <laughs> like, yeah you know. but I feel like I can't help but wonder I mean I feel like as as humans we do a lot of filtering about what we say to people for the most part you know yeah. and there are quote-unquote people who don't really do a lot of filtering um, and I think what's also very interesting is that we tend to give a lot of respect to people who don't filter their words like it's almost like I've I've, I've heard the word blunt used in a positive connotation more than I've heard it used in a negative connotation. Hmm. I don't know if that's the same for you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've never, I haven't thought about like that specific word. Yeah. But yeah, I, because like, I can think of one, let's say coworker, since we're mm-hmm. talking about that mm-hmm. realm of someone who likes to n- he doesn't necessarily mince his words, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, it, you know, that's, I think in different contexts that can be beneficial. Some contexts mm-hmm. it can not be as beneficial. Right. Right. I think right. like giving feedback, it also depends on like the person receiving feedback. If they want direct feedback, like me, for example, I, I will like tell it to me as directly as possible. Yeah. And then I will, like for me, like I'll take it very personally mm-hmm. in a like, very positive way because <laughs> right, right. even even that word right yeah like personally right. has a negative connotation w- when you like take something personally it right, has a negative right. connotation yeah, yeah. right but for me it's a positive connotation because wow. it's like i want to take it so personally <laughs> that it's like it's a visceral reaction when someone tells me feedback that it's going to change my identity right, right. right even though the feedback may be not relating to my identity mm-hmm. it's relating to my the behavior yes right but even then to change that behavior i need to backtrack into my identity so that i can change my thoughts emotions feelings which then get displayed as behavior right right yeah so like i think going back to the conversation of being blunt Mm -hmm. right i think it's it's awesome i i I think i think the larger conversation here is like about like connotations of words yes right Are, are there are there like any other like words that you kind of feel or have a different perspective on that you use for yourself because like words shape how you think yeah. and how you act, right? Yeah. Like what, uh, any other words that come to mind that you're like, I like to use these words, I don't like to use these words, or I have a different connotation of these words than society has? Wow, I think that's a very hard uh, answer to come up with on this. Yeah, spot, yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, one thing that does come to mind is the whole idea of like, perfectionism you know someone who who pays meticulous attention to detail like I used to pride myself on that statement for the longest time um, until until I realized that the whole idea of perfectionism and paying like an inordinate amount of attention to detail can can do more harm than good sometimes and I think there's Mm -hmm. an overwhelming amount of societal kind of like pushback against the label of perfectionist now which is which is very welcoming. I think it represents a huge shift in kind of how we view productivity and output um, and how we come to respect people as individuals and not just cogs in a system. Right. Um, But I think 
Yeah, the whole idea of, of perfectionism, thinking of it once being something that held a lot of positive connotation to right. me, to now being something that holds a, holds a good deal of negative connotation. So yeah, let, let's unpack that. How, how, how has that definition changed over time from that, yeah. from the positive to that negative connotation for you then? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is like, when, it, when, it, I, when I first heard that term being used to describe me, you know, it was like back in like, you know, late elementary school, early middle school, where I yeah. had teachers like compliment me on like the quality of, of my schoolwork, right? And, yeah. and I would take it as a compliment. But I think as I got older and as I began to realize that, like, there are drawbacks to being so meticulous and so, like, so specific about wanting to do things. I think, you know, it, it renders you with a good deal of inflexibility. Um, and I think that's one connotation that I've started to pull from it. So if someone were to call me a perfectionist now, it's it's kind of like oh you're just you're just talking about the fact that I'm like difficult, <laughs> you know. So it's like yeah. Um, I think that's that's one kind of difference there is is. I think the positive part of it still holds. I think that I can look at it in a positive light and be like oh okay they they think that I have good output or they think I have good work ethic, but then again. You know, I think a lot of times nowadays per- perfectionism is being paired with procrastination. You know, when people are like, I want to create a product so good um, hmm. that I, I simply I, I won't be able to do that right now. I'm just going to keep putting it off because it's it's an overwhelming amount of stress to think about trying to take on such a such a golden, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, such a golden product, such a golden um, output. So I think nowadays you know when i when i think about perfectionism it's more of calling out i think flaws in in a person who may be perfectionistic mm-hmm. okay so how has that kind of played out in your i guess college career let's say it's played a huge role i think um for me like i've always had like a love-hate relationship with the word procrastination yeah um, is I don't consider myself to be a procrastinator out of like, oh, there's other things I'd rather be doing right now. I think whenever I put something off, it's usually because I'm like, this needs a lot of my attention. I don't know if I can give it that right now. Yeah. Um, and that like, the whole idea of like, I must create something so good um, has definitely led me down paths where like, I would start something and then never finish it because I would be like, ah, oh, I can't. I can't make it perfect, you know, I can't make yeah. it amazing. Right. Um, I think I've just, over the years, I've come to realize more and more that A, perfect is a facade, you know, yeah. um, and that B, um, it's much better to just start and get something done, even if it's haphazard, if, you know, you're, you're, you're still in the process of doing it. I think it's so important that we, like, develop a commitment with ourselves to be able to follow through on things. Yeah. Because when like for example like with procrastination like it can easily impact and i'm speaking from personal experience um your your own confidence in yourself about your ability to carry out things mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah because yeah because i think and even kind of like a semi-related to that level of perfectionism is 
like almost having a, a vanity metric, let's say, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want to say that they like consume a lot of information yeah. or that they read a lot, yeah. right? And for me, it's like, it's like, oh, I read 20 mm -hmm. books this year. Mm -hmm. And it's like the next person you'll see is like, oh, I read 30 books this year. It's like, sure, yes, but, but that doesn't mean you're inherently any smarter. Right. It just means that you spent more time reading, maybe, or that Absolutely. you. It, all that means is that is that you just read ten more books. Right. 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 But the actual, you know. Because I think. I, I guess the idea I'm trying to connect here is, we want to get to that hundred percent level. Mm -hmm. That's why we procrastinate, mm -hmm. and sometimes we, we forget the. That learning, is, sometimes the end but sometimes it's like it's the means to an end right. all right we're learning to do something so that we can apply it in our own lives right so that we can change our identity or that we can apply it to our business we can apply it to our relationships we can apply it to whatever it may be right Absolutely. so like so for me like I would rather spend a two months on a book and go deep into it yes. compared to reading three books in a month yes. without having remembered anything right. three months later right, right? And then, like, same thing with procrastination. It's like, like, sure, I'm going 80%, I'm going 90%, I'm going 95%, but then what's the, like, in your example of, like, the product mm -hmm. for customers, mm -hmm. what's the point of the product to actually get it, release it, yeah. and to make, provide value for the customer? Absolutely. Right? right? We lose sight of the fact, and we get so deeply enthralled by that vanity metric of trying to reach that 100%, yes. then that we, you know, just lose track of it. Absolutely. And then we just forget about it, yeah. right? Yeah. Tr trying to connect those two disparate kind of thoughts no, there. No, <laughs> I think that's such a valuable point. Um, you know, it, it really is. I think so many of us do get caught up in those vanity metrics. I know for a fact, you know, I definitely do. I think um, it's one of my biggest personal flaws, if you will. I think it's, it's very easy for me to become um, kind of lost in the process and kind of lose sight of the destination. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm writing that down. Lost in the process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very guilty of that myself. <laughs> Is there any, like an example of like just like losing yourself oh. in the process? I think, um, yeah, like let's, you know, I, I know that um, you are very familiar with like Isha Yoga, you know, and yeah. like also like the different sort of Kriyas they put out. Um, I, you know, I think I've talked about it a bit before where like I learned Surya Kriya and I learned Shambhavi and I did yeah. Surya Kriya for like about a year and a half okay. and Shambhavi I did for like 15 days. Okay. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because it was the discouragement, at least with Surya Kriya, I could, you know, because for one thing, um, I switched to a boarding school when I was 16. Okay. So I had done Surya Kriya for basically like an entire year and a half before that. I switched to this boarding school and my entire schedule was very different. You know, I was rooming with two other people. Um, and I had a lot of kind of like inbuilt, like if then sort of contingencies on my ability to like do things, you know? And yeah. so um, it was very difficult to keep a consistent routine. And I felt very, very discouraged by the fact that I could never stick to a consistent routine. Yeah. Um, and so my immediate way to kind of resolve that was to give up you know to, to stop doing it to basically halt 
all the careers that I'd been doing. Uh-huh. Um, and to just like, you know, and I, and I think that in and of itself was like a kind of destructive move because it felt very demoralizing to be able to stop that and yeah. to, to like, because like I mentioned when, I mentioned that in the procrastination example, but um, I think it was one thing that made me lose a lot of trust in myself and trust in my ability to main things, maintain things consistently. Um, uh-huh. And so after that, like any time when it comes to like a meditative practice or, um, you know, some sort of spiritual ritual, there's, there's fear. There's a lot of fear around it because it's like, will I be able to stick to it consistently? And if I don't stick to it consistently, I hold myself to the standard that, you know, I, I just feel discouraged. I feel like I'm not being as spiritual. I feel like I'm not being as good. And so there's like an avoidance escape mechanism yeah. where it's like, I just, I'll just stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to worry about that. And it's, you know, and I, as I'm speaking about it, yeah. and even when I think about it further, there's like a lot of like, uh, there's like an internal dialogue that's like, you know how ridiculous that sounds. You know, it's just like this internal dialogue of like, if you stick with it in the long run, maybe you'll come through and you'll resolve all these like, these these humps or you'll, you'll you'll be able to find some way somehow where you'll be able to be more consistent with something um spiritually and it's just like perhaps so but i think it's also like me justifying other variables in my life as an explanation for why i can't follow through with for example a, a spiritual practice yeah um and it's you know because i think i mentioned before that my parents are very very spiritual people and yeah um, and my parents consistently stick to their, their routines. Right. And so we've had several conversations about um, sticking to spiritual routines. And I, I, I think that it's so important. You know, at the end of the day, I recognize the immense value that comes from a consistent spiritual practice. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, it's also the whole perfectionist professionistic attitude of like will I be able to follow through on this every day to such an extent that it becomes a value or will the stress of oh my god like will I be able to fit it in today between everything else I have to do or you know will I will I like sleep through my alarm and then miss the entire hour that I was supposed to be up you know doing x y and z like it's (laughs) (laughs) it's an interesting it's an interesting um the interesting dilemma if you will because once again i recognize the value i want to do it but then there are these psychological obstacles oh for (laughs) sure are like you know kind of making me hesitant to resume or to adopt right new practices yeah because like in my mind it's like i like everyone knows the right things Mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. you know theoretically for the most part yeah yeah it's like yeah i should work out yeah i should eat healthy (laughs) right you know, I sh- I should probably wake up early, yeah. do all these things, right? Yeah. But then, like, it's just like what what's stopping us? So, like, I mean, so I guess one question I want to ask about those spiritual practices mm-hmm. is for you. I think this may be different answer for different people, mm-hmm. right? But for you, what is that purpose of doing of having a spiritual practice or practices? I think the biggest thing is grounding. You know, and I think at 20 years old that's like the most 
like that's the gold standard you know is is feeling grounded is feeling like you have a stable head on your shoulders um which i know from experience spiritual practices can definitely deliver you know when you feel at home in your body when you feel um when when you have a larger sense of acceptance um, and gratitude for the life that you're currently living. Yeah. I think it does so much for not only you, but for the people in the community around you. Um, and so I recognize that. And I think it's also important to understand that spirituality comes in so different ways. You know, spiritual practices look so different from person to person. Yeah. Um, and so I think I recognize, like when I, when I stopped like Surya Kriya and Shambhavi, once again it took a bit of a hit to my self-confidence around spirituality but then I began to understand that that's not there's no monolithic definition of what spirituality looks like right Um, and that spirituality can can look different it's it's up to it's up to my personal interpretation of what I want spirituality to be and I think that's another thing I realized as an adult more and more you know, living away from home and recognizing that without my parents being like, oh, you should do this or you should do that. Yeah. It's me being like, no, I want to do this and I want to do that because it's a personal value to me. Yeah. Are there any, so in defining that definition and purpose for yourself of what spirituality means to you, mm-hmm. what have you seen? So in addition to Shambhavi and, you know, Kriyas and stuff like that, are there any things that are, would be under the umbrella Absolutely. of spirituality? Absolutely, I mean, we talked about journaling earlier. You know, yeah. I think um, journaling can be so much more than just like, you know, like a psychological tool. I feel like it can be deeply transformative in terms of being able to understand your own insight about who you are and what you are and mm-hmm. um, what you stand for. Um, on top of that, I feel like nature is extremely restorative extremely healing i think um personally i've always kind of prided myself on or not prided myself but i've always kind of ascribed myself to being like quote unquote more of an indoor person right like yeah like the outdoors are nice but you keep me indoors all day like i i won't necessarily feel a pull to go outside yeah but then the older i get and the more i recognize how healing nature can be the more I want to be outside, the more I recognize it as something that's revitalizing, um, something that definitely has the capacity to um, bring you similar feelings of being grounded as other practices might be. Um, and I think another thing is like, I, I'm a huge proponent of the, the Wim Hof method. Oh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I did it. it this morning. Did you? Yeah, Actually, yeah, for the first time in like a few months. But wow. I did. Yeah, so <laughs> perfect timing, I Literally, guess. Literally, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I personally find the Wim Hof method to be, it, it's just something that aligns with me very yeah. much. So I think um, most other meditative practices, I would often find myself like sitting down. You know, as soon as I sit down, uh, I immediately am just flooded with thoughts about other things. <laughs> it just becomes yeah. like a thinking <laughs> session yeah. instead of a, a meditating session or a yoga session, you know? Yeah. And um, with the Wim Hof method, I, I don't feel that. I feel fully present, fully focused in the moment. And 
as soon as you know the 11 minutes have elapsed i feel i feel like i've leveled up in yeah. a certain way you know and it's um i think it's a very beneficial feeling to have yeah even if it is you know temporary but i think and that's another thing is i've talked to my parents about the wim hof method it's funny because i introduced my parents to the wim hof okay. method and they think it's very interesting <laughs> um i like once again i think spirituality comes in so many different forms and yeah. if you find you know whatever your personal definition of spirituality is like for me it's the feeling of being grounded whatever brings about that feeling of being grounded whether it's conversations like this i mean i consider this to be a spiritual activity yeah you know um it's it's entirely dependent on perspective yeah 100 yeah. percent. well you said 11 minutes is, is that the uh, guided one on youtube that he he has that's so there i also have the app oh okay, okay. um and the app has like you can essentially set how many cycles or yeah, whatever? How many okay. cycles you want. And also like how long each cycle is. Oh, instead of like 30 breaths, you can do like 50 yes. or 60 breaths. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, because like the one on YouTube, okay, mm -hmm. I want to download the app then. You should definitely Because like do it. the 30 is the default one on YouTube. Yes. And so like I sometimes feel like that's pretty short. Yes. And so like I want to go for like <laughs> yeah. 50, maybe 60 yeah. cycles and like, you know, like four or five rounds. Absolutely. And. So yeah, sometimes I'll I'll do it. I didn't do it this morning, but when I sometimes when I do it, I'll do like four or five rounds. I'll I'll just stop after the video is stopped, or I continue after the video is stopped, I should say. And then uh, it's like when I do it in the morning, so it'll be before I take a shower, right. and I'll wh while I'm glowing or whatever, <laughs> while I have that feeling of after doing the Wim Hof, yes. I'll go into like the shower. And I'll, I'll turn on the cold water. Yes, I'll take the course. cold shower, Classic and then I'll continue doing Wim Hof in there, yeah, yeah. For like a, a cycle or two. Wow. I'm like, oh my god, this is the best feeling literally, ever. Literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. Um, and I think that's the other thing is that, as I mentioned before, um, when we're trying to translate the abstract to the concrete, I think that the sensory mechanism is such a such such a powerful way to do that. If not, in my opinion, one of the only ways to do that. You know, and so I think the Wim Hof method does that so beautifully in terms of bringing you so deeply into your physical body that you know mm. it it just has magic 100 <laughs> percent. yeah <laughs> no other way to put it yeah i love that yeah um yeah i i think now is a solid time to kind of go into our so i know i kind of briefly briefed you in terms of like the what I like to do in, yeah. instead of having any rapid fire questions or anything yeah. like that <laughs> I like to actually this is very fitting because I like to take uh, I haven't branded it as such mm -hmm. uh, publicly yet but I mm -hmm. think I, I like to take instead of these rapid fire like hot takes type yes. of thing yeah. let's let's take a, a literal ice bath <laughs> <laughs> wow literally um, perfect yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's calm things down yeah. um, and so what I like to do here is just like take 30 seconds, take a minute, like no talking or anything. Just like kind of reflect on, you know, what we've talked about, what we've discussed. Maybe let your mind wander or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then after that silence, after that momentary pause, um, I want you to ask me a question. Because I think sometimes you can find the most out about Absolutely. a person when by the questions that they ask <laughs> rather than the answers that they give. So... Um, uh, I'll you know after the pause I'll I'll let you answer a question but yeah. Solid. <laughs> Solid.
All right. I'll let you have the floor here, Sarasia. <laughs> All right, Sai. So I think, I mean, there are so many questions that... Oops. <laughs> you good? Yeah. yeah. There's so many questions that I've wanted to ask you, but I think... You know, looking at all the things that you do, um, and I think I mentioned this before that I see you as such a huge inspiration. Um, what do you, what do you think, gives you the most fulfillment in your life? It's mm. a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, what gives me the most fulfillment? I'm gonna kind of relate it to what we talked about, but. But in a positive connotation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of getting lost in the process, mm. I think what gives me most fulfillment is not necessarily one activity, yeah. right? But it's doing something so intensely, doing mm. something so in so much flow, in so much. You're so engaged in that whatever activity or that in this conversation yes. or like whatever that is, mm-hmm. like. That gives me the most fulfillment, right? Like having this conversation. And, and like that actually kind of relates to spirituality. Like yeah. your definition of right, spirituality, right. right? Like I love journaling. Yeah. And I love journaling for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I love journaling for four hours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I think part of that is like the fulfillment of I have this like overall structure, you know, this like life operating system, let's say. And some people may think, like, wow, this, you have this life operating system that's like, there's so much structure, so much systems, I couldn't do this. Like, I don't have any rule, like, you have, sorry, you have so many rules for yourself, like, how do you, like, enjoy life? Like, for me, it's like, just, I create that structure intentionally because then I can have those moments that automatically are aligned to my purpose or purposes or that mission that I know that I want to achieve that I've taken that time out of my year let's say whatever maybe if it's 10 minutes but Mm -hmm. it's 10 minutes out of that year that this is my purpose for the year this is my mission for the year or for my life or whatever that is right and then just doing everything that aligns to that it's like another way of thinking and answering that question is like about energy Mm. right about what fulfills me is more and more about what revitalizes my energy compared to what reduces and drains my energy, right? So I just, so now everything that I do, right? Everything that I think, everything that I learn, everything that I do, everything, every person that I relate with, it's all, I'm thinking from a framework and context of is this going to give me energy or is this going to take energy away? And so like like yesterday, for example, when I went, uh, I was driving, yeah, yesterday was Sunday, right? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I was driving back from Optimist, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I, w- I like worked for, I got there after I ate lunch, mm-hmm. so I wasn't hungry, mm-hmm. right? But then I, um, you know, worked for a little bit, for a few hours, and it was like 6.37, so like I had a couple snacks, right? But then I was like, Okay, um, but then I was like, obviously I'm in a food court <laughs> and I'm hungry, yes. but I also want to, like I said, have those healthy habits. Like I know what to do. Yeah. Like I know what to do yeah. of 
you know, of course I can enjoy, you know, the food, like I'm, I'm not against eating out or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, then I was like, all right, can I train my mind? Can I um, have enough willpower? Can I discipline myself? Can I have a disciplined identity where I don't feel bad about eating out, mm -hmm. but I can choose not to eat out even if I maybe don't want to, but it's like a habitual response, yes. right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't get anything at Optimist Hall. Mm -hmm. And I walked out, I'm like, okay, that's a victory, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I, on the drive back, Taco Bell's like kind of on the way back, mm -hmm. all right? So, you know, <laughs> you, you know I love my Taco Bell. <laughs> Indi most Indians love their Taco Bell, right? right? Uh -huh. So I'm like, so like the 10 minutes, 10 out of the 15 minute drive back home, yeah. like I'm in a battle, mental battle with myself yesterday of like, oh, should I get Taco Bell? Should I not get Taco Bell? And I'm like rationalizing this out, yeah. out loud, yeah. talking to myself yeah. and I'm, like, like I know I should go home and just like eat healthy, like make a protein smoothie, like maybe work out. Cause that was the original plan. Mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it's so like one of the things going back to like the energy piece mm -hmm. of it and back to fulfillment is mm -hmm. like, one of the things that I said out loud to rationalize it is like, all right, w what gives me energy? Like, w like, let's play this out. If I eat Taco Bell, I'm probably gonna feel a little bit you know, a little bit heavy afterwards, mm -hmm. and I'm probably gonna wanna sleep early yeah. and not feel as well, you know, waking up, right? Yeah. Going into a fresh new week. Right. On the other hand, if I don't eat Taco Bell, if I just go home, I can go work out, I can make a protein smoothie, I can mm -hmm. eat fruits mm -hmm. and uh, healthy stuff, yeah. and then still be productive afterwards yeah. and like read and do everything, right? So it's, and so then it was like, Taco Bell drains energy from me. Going, going home right now would give me energy Right? So then when I took that decision of going home and not having Taco Bell last night, like that gave me fulfillment, right? So it's like those small things, yeah. but having that context of that energy kind of really helps. So I, sorry I rambled there. No, not at but, all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, was, I guess how do you kind of view, I guess, that energy revitalizing versus draining right, right. piece of it or if at all. I think it's so interesting you mentioned that because I think the first conversation we ever had, you asked me the question of what, like how I define energy, right? That's and right. I, I remember I, that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I distinctly remember just being like caught off guard by this question. I was like, this is an amazing question. Um, you know, because it, I mean, it appears to me that in your assessment of fulfillment, it kind of goes back to earlier when I said like the idea of actions that help us develop like a sense of confidence in ourselves and our and you know and and i think confidence fulfillment meaning all of these are kind of adjacent words in the sense that like um i think that when you take action towards you know activities events people who raise your energy you know who who um you know promote whether it's better well-being, whether it's, um, you know, sometimes these, these things are very abstract. Sometimes you, mm -hmm. you feel more energized around certain people versus others. And that's something you can't necessarily like quantifiably address why, but sometimes that's the case. And so when you make decisions towards things that promote higher energy, I feel like there's a sense of pride in your own competence like there's a sense of like i can do this you know yeah. and i think that like that's what i want that's what i meant by confidence earlier is the whole idea of like 
I can do this or I am doing this. Um, and my life feels meaningful. My life feels infused with purpose. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes when, you know, when we are in difficult circumstances, it's very easy to lose that sense of purpose. It's very easy to, um, you know, not feel fulfilled or confident mm -hmm. in our own abilities. And I see, I feel like that's a huge distinction is oftentimes when we're at the best periods of our life, it's when we feel most fulfilled, when we feel like our life has purpose and meaning. Yeah. So how do you, so then the question is, how do you create more moments mm -hmm. of finding purpose or of helping realize and achieve that purpose yeah. for you specifically? Yeah, for me personally, I think it's, it's been a long journey, but I think um, it takes a lot of introspection, first of all, to realize what's high energy and what's low energy for you, you know, yeah. and, and what, what's low energy for me may be high energy for you what's high energy for me may be low energy for you i mean it differs from person to person so i think taking the time to really try to understand like what uplifts me and taking conscious decisions to do more of that activity like for me for example like i love working out like literally like i know there are people who like scream and kick when they go to the gym like i i love working out yeah it's a very energizing activity i, I look forward to it and i feel amazing afterwards um, and then, you know, it's also like, once again, my biggest obstacles, right? Whenever I don't work out, like the biggest obstacle is, oh, I have schoolwork that conflicts with this, or, oh, I have this and this activity that conflicts with that. And sometimes it does take me sitting down and saying, okay, well, what will bring the most value to me right now? You know, I think I'm someone who has historically derived a lot of satisfaction, a lot of my sense of purpose and my sense of value and meaning from my academic performance yeah. which is why it can be very easy for me to justify not doing things like sleeping or eating or working out yeah. because I'm like oh I have I have schoolwork you know if I don't attend a school where if I get bad grades I'm going to feel worse about myself right. than if I was you know well rested <laughs> well yeah. fed and healthy right um but it is like a it's like a continuous dance between the two and in understanding what matters most to you and sometimes you know, incorporating other people into that process who understand you and who have your best interest in mind can, I think, do a world of wonders, especially if you kind of struggle a bit on the self-awareness piece. Um, I know for a fact, like, sometimes, you know, my roommates will see me, like, trying to stay up, trying to do something, and then they're just like, you are going to hate yourself tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, and, and I laugh and I'm like, you're right. Like, you're right. I, I, I would derive much more value if I go to sleep now, wake up early tomorrow and then get this thing done versus me staying up, waking up tomorrow morning and being like, oh, I, I hate getting up late. I feel so unproductive. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just it's all about I think um, it's very easy for human brains to spiral, you know. So when yeah. you're in a positive direction, it, you have positive momentum you keep going along that direction and then again if if you know if, if you're on the opposite if you have negative things going on it's very easy to kind of head out in that direction so yeah when you take action towards things that lift your energy you're building that positive momentum mm. and you're allowing yourself to go down positive spirals you know and i yeah. think one thing that i'm continuously working on is 
being able to pick myself up after being disarmed. So if I do have a night where I have to finish a paper because it's due, you know, at like a, a time that I, I can't potentially wake up in the morning and finish, right, yeah. if it has to get done, then making sure that I wake up the next morning not hating myself yeah. and saying, this is okay. You know, once again, about the perfectionistic attitude, like yeah. understanding that not every area of your life has to be meticulous all the time. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that like, when you said about like um, how you want to build healthy habits and at the same time you don't want to like feel bad about eating out whenever you do eat out you mm -hmm. know but still making sure that you aren't eating out often for your own health and well-being because you know that not eating out lifts your energy it's 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 something that makes you feel better you you act better your, your life um, is more enhanced when you're not constantly eating out but then again, when you do have rare occasions, being able to, to enjoy that moment for what it is. Right. It's such a beautiful thing. And I think that's one thing that I'm still trying to work on. Um, still trying to understand that life is not always black and white, that there's gray area, that there are exceptions that can be made for certain circumstances. Yeah. Um, and I think there's always been a longstanding fear of like, oh, if I like accept this behavior, then I'm going to continue accepting this behavior. Yeah. You know, and then it's just like, it's, it's a fine line. It's a very fine line, but yeah, yeah, I, I commend you a lot for being able to walk that line. <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> I'm walking and I'm falling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but like, you know, but I'm hopefully the next time I get up and walk that line, mm -hmm. I can stay on that line longer. Yes. Right. Yes. And then, I'm, then I can run on that line. I think yeah. as, as we all are on that path of trying yeah, to do. Absolutely. Right. Um, how do you, I guess like kind of relating one of your first points that you made about like, about your community, mm -hmm. about like who you're, um, I guess like one of the things that you said you're grateful for, yeah. right? About your community, like, connecting that with like your, who you spend time with raises, raises your energy what are those activities that you spend time with people doing that help raise your energy? Right. A great example is this scenario right oh, yeah. now. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, like I mentioned, like I greatly enjoy deep conversations. I think no matter how not great I may be feeling in the moment or how many other things are on my mind, like if I have the time to sit down and, and have a conversation with someone who you know I, I find to be a very high energy raising person um, that that in and of itself I think is is very revitalizing um, and and I I think I'm very intentional now about when I talk about community um, surrounding myself with people who I consider high energy you know and um, I think inevitably you're going to go through life and encounter people who aren't necessarily the most compatible right, with yeah. you. But I think also learning to navigate that sort of a scenario um, in such a way that you're not undermining, like, you're, you're not undermining. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is that, at least for me personally, is if I'm in a setting with someone who I consider low energy you yeah. know I I shrink I don't necessarily it's very difficult for me to have like a good conversation or 
I don't feel myself in that scenario. And so I think being able to like maintain who you are despite who you're around yeah. is, is a very, very important skill. Um, yeah. And I think it also, you know, when you, it, for example, if you're brought up on the idea of like, oh, what will people think about X, Y, and Z? Um, yeah. It makes it very easy to be, it makes it very easy to not be your authentic self around everyone you know it's very easy to just present what you want people to see of you yeah and i think i i try to be very intentional about showing that like you know i'm i'm not like you know i'm not this perfect person like i I don't lead this perfect life and i think that for me has been so liberating like to be able to be uh you know not necessarily like like I think being more vulnerable in a sense and just being yeah. more transparent and more honest about like, this is who I am. I own who I am. Like it doesn't make me ashamed or disappointed to say that like, I don't feel great <laughs> every single day. But at the yeah. same time, there's so many beautiful things that I appreciate about myself and that I bring to the table. Um, yeah. 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 Cause I think, well, it's like to, one of the things that I, like when I listen to you is mm-hmm. like I, I almost feel half of it is like half of it's like maybe not half but like a third of it's like intimidated <laughs> because the way you articulate yourself mm-hmm. is like like regardless of how young you are right uh, but like the wisdom that you have and what you say um, and how you like articulate yourself is like your like speech is like and your diction and um, you know what you're saying about like communication right is is probably one of the best like one of the most effective that i've heard That's and so, so kind of you. Oh my gosh. yeah and so like i every time i like after the first time i talked to you i was like wow she speaks really eloquently <laughs> we use like the best words and i every time now i like that i want to talk to you it's like okay i gotta like make sure that I'm up to her level in terms oh of like, <laughs> like no. the like how well I articulate myself because like I think I have a lot of ideas in my head but I can't fully express it sometimes right so like hence why I like journaling so much now mm-hmm. so like, I can express it without having to be fully um, you know articulate I can just kind of jot note ideas mm-hmm. down here and there and then yeah. connect them right so like I'm good at that but then we're trying to maybe formulate a cohesive thought or something that that can be a little bit harder. But when I talk to you, I'm like, wow, this, like that, to your point, like that raises my energy when I, when I like communicate with you about that. Thanks like, a lot, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, I guess like, one, of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask is about, um, and like any, are there any pieces of like content or any pieces of like or any books or yeah. anything that because um, I, I know you're a very deep reader um, any like any courses any things like that that really stuck out to you and helped shape who you are today absolutely so you know I think like I'm very 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 fortunate that like I grew up in a household where my parents are also very much into spirituality, right? And so, um, like, growing up, I'd, my dad would talk a lot about Eckhart Tolle and, um, 
I remember like when I was seven years old uh, and we went on car trips, my parents would play like the secret audiobook, you know? And I think all of these things kind of became a part of my core values, you know, and the, the way that I see the world, the way that I see spirituality. Um, and also, I mean, both you and I have been, you know, a, a part of the Psy community for, right, yeah. for basically our entire lives. And so yeah. that's a huge defining part, I think, as well of, um, you know, morals and values that have shaped who I am and, and what I stand for. Um, but, you know, when, there's one book that I've been reading recently called The Happiness Trap. And I've basically been recommending it to everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it takes, so The Happiness Trap was written by a psychologist. Okay. And yet I think it takes a very, a very core spiritual idea and presents it in a clinical setting. So, you know, there, there are like a variety of different sorts of therapeutic measures that they use in psychology okay. like there's dbt and cbt and nct which are all these different ways of in a, in a psychotherapy setting communicating between a patient and uh, a therapist but yeah. there's this this new if you will form of therapy called act which stands for acceptance and commitment therapy okay and it's all about it's literally grounded in the idea of acceptance and in the idea of being able to like see the present moment for what it is and to not attach um like your own preconceived notions of you know negative connotations yeah. or uh, you know feelings of hopelessness so on and so forth and it's yeah. it's contingent upon you know i think once again like a very kind of eastern philosophy spiritual yeah, mindset of you know once again, acceptance, like understanding that the present moment has the abundance that you need. Like you have everything that you need, yeah. you know, and it's, I think it's a very beautiful and a very revolutionary thing is for, for psychology as a whole. Um, but it's, and I think it's a very interesting book, especially because this author, I think, is very aware of the fact that there are audiences that may not be receptive to like, oh, this, this comes from, you know, Eastern philosophy, yeah. but at the same time, you know, he includes examples from like the Dalai Lama and like, yeah. you know, it's. I think it's 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 an excellent book because I remember like very specifically, um, when when I read this passage on how acceptance isn't about complacency, you know, uh, and understanding that acceptance is about, you know coming to terms with the present moment in such a way that it holds no effect on your emotional state. Um, mm -hmm. I just feel like this book has been honestly like a big game changer for me, at least this semester. Yeah. You know, and I, and I set out this semester knowing full and well that I'm not going to set like a you must read this books by this deadline because yeah. I was like, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, the semester is very much me still trying to be off on my own feet kind of. Right. It's, understanding it's, it's like you're, you're trying to not over promise and under deliver. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's a huge thing right there is um, my biggest fear is over promising and under delivering, yeah. you know? And so I think 
yeah, I, I just, once again, anyone listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend them to check out The Happiness Trap. Okay. I'll have to. Yeah, because I think, because a lot of those types of, I think I've read like a few books that combine that Eastern philosophy, yes. but with a Western mindset, right? Yeah. And I think that's like finding that perfect combination. Absolutely. Right? Of these because like when people think of eastern philosophy it's like oh they were they sat under a tree or they like live in a monastery their whole lives Mm -hmm. or like live in the mountains or like whatever that is and obviously that's true but that's not the only place where you can have an eastern philosophy absolutely right you can have that eastern philosophy applied to your business yes right but then when you combine both aspects the let's say the technological scientific stem let's say side yeah with the, like the the sensory yes. connecting this back, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. The sensory piece with the the things that you can't measure Absolutely. quantitatively, but yes. you you can kind of qualitatively. Yeah. Like yeah. that's when that marriage is like perfect, right? Absolutely. That union. Like that's right. when that's when you reach when you have practice yoga, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right. Right. And so it's um, you know like like the subtle art, right? Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. of not giving a fuck. Yes. Or. Yes. Um, I think I've, I don't know if you're the diamond cutter. I think I've, I've I, I'm, I think I me- mentioned, mentioned that to it, you. I, yeah. yeah, like that's like amazing combination yeah. of, of applying Eastern philosophy and like the Buddha's teachings Absolutely. into business or like I've read like the leadership dojo, right. which right. has, you know, it's, it's roots in mm-hmm. like Aikido of like martial arts, but applying that in the business setting or the work setting or personally, right? That's Having amazing. that leadership presence. Yeah. And so like, I think books like that that combine both aspects are the most powerful because then it can relate to everyone, yes. right? Even if you're, even if you're atheist, even if like you know transcends religion, transcends spirituality, like whatever level of on the spectrum of spirituality you are, right? Absolutely. But it's like, but it's just it's information, and you can you can take it however you want. Right. But it's you know it, it holds that power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Sure. Um, I guess with that, I, I know we've been talking for a little bit. Is there anything on your mind that you want to share that we haven't broached today yet? Oh. I don't think there's anything necessarily sharing-wise, but you know, there are definitely more questions that I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it just—it's just. It's just um, it just amazes me. I think I was kind of touching on this in the car on the way here. I asked you, or I didn't necessarily ask you, wanted to ask you. It was, it was basically um, kind of like how you've found your way essentially after college graduation and kind of growing into the person you are today. Like, what do you think are some formative experiences that you've had that have made you who you are from, you know? whether it's something that occurred in college or high school, there's something that happened in your early childhood. What do you think are some formative experiences that define who you are today? I think one is, I think growing up, there wasn't one event necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I Mm -hmm. think one thing is, like you said, like growing up in the Sai community, where you have that foundation of those those values, those beliefs, Mm -hmm. and those are still within me, right? I can't get get rid of them no. even if not that I want to but no. like you know it, it's part of my identity yeah 
and then I think also like the the school the schooling system. Mm-hmm. Well, so well, so let me take a step back here. Everything is formative. Yeah. Or sorry, everything can have that impact. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. To your point of I remember oh, this is perfect. To, <laughs> to, to bring it to your point of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. To not attach any negative or positive emotion yes. to it, right? Every moment has that potential power. Yes. And it's up to us to realize if, or how we harness that power of that moment. Absolutely. Right? So for me, so like so some of those important experiences may not seem very important mm-hmm. when you're listening mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. But it's those small moments like yesterday, like what an example about like the Taco Bell thing, right? right? right. Or about those small moments or many large moments like, Mm -hmm. you know, in, you know, I think when I first went to the Ishaya Inner Engineering, like that was a transformative moment that weekend, right? That's when I really dug into spirituality, really Mm -hmm. defined who I was. Mm -hmm. I think COVID as a whole, like really allowed me to step away from that foundation that I'd set from that size center, mm-hmm. but then also go detach myself from that size center because I wasn't physically as part of it anymore, right? right? I, I wasn't obligated to go. Mm-hmm. And so then like that allowed my time to free up and then, especially on Sundays, right? And then I could actually spend time like throughout the week going deeper into journaling and finding who I was yeah. through that. So then I think it's just finding what those small moments are, well, small or large, mm-hmm. but finding those moments for me and almost relating it back to something else I said of taking it personally, right? Absolutely. Of when I can have this moment, you know, sharing this moment with you, for example, mm-hmm. right? I don't need to remember the whole conversation. I just need to remember at least one thing that was so powerful that it changed at least something else in the future that I yes. thought about, changed my identity, changed my behavior, yes. changed my thoughts, changed my emotions, changed my feelings on something. The trick is to do that consistently. Yeah. And so once, if I can just have one thing that I look at every day, right? Not even like every hour, but like every day or like every piece of content. I don't need to remember the whole book. Yeah. I just need to remember one thing and then I think about that. Like when I think about the journey home by Radhanath Swami, I think about humility, right? Oh. Or when I think about the diamond cutter, I think yes. about imprints, yes. right? Because that still sticks. I don't even remember the whole book. Right. I can remember more, but at least one thing about a discourse or a speech mm-hmm. or a book or a video or article. If I just remember one thing or a conversation, that gives me, that has a potential to be transformative, yeah. right? Everything can be transformative and nothing can be transformative. Absolutely. And so for me, it's just understanding how can I make it transformative for me? Yeah. I think that's the main thing. I love that answer. (laughs) You always give such excellent answers. Wow. Um, Yeah, no, I, I very much agree with that sentiment. I think honestly, sometimes if I were to look back at my own life and think about some of the most quote unquote transformative experiences, they happened in moments that you wouldn't necessarily like, you know, you wouldn't describe with, with flashing lights and fireworks. Like yeah. it's, it's very subtle, I think in the moment. And I think it's the pronounced impact that 
can can either take time to develop or um, it can happen, you know, mm-hmm. instantaneously when you recognize the value that that unique mm-hmm. moment has. Exactly. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to label it right now as something. This new idea, I'm this, this new phrase, latent transformation. Latent transformation. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right. Wow. I love that. Yeah. So, something you learn ten years ago. Yeah. But then you apply it ten years later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's 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 been dormant this entire time. It's been latent. But then exactly. when you apply it, that's the power. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Man, that's I I love that the idea of latent transformation. Yeah. Perfect. Um, perfect. Was there anything else that you wanted to add before we close up this recorded conversation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, wow. I mean, I just, I just really, once again, want to thank you for, you know, um, asking me to be on this podcast with you. And, um, it's been, I honestly feel like this conversation just came at the perfect time. You know, it's the year's coming to a close uh-huh. and I think we're all reflecting on everything that happened this year and, uh, everything that the new year is going to bring. And I think there are a lot of really important takeaways from this conversation that I, I'm sure both of us will continue to reflect on. Yeah. Um, and the g- good thing is it's recorded, so you can listen to it <laughs> afterwards as exactly, well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We should do this to every one of our conversations. I know, time. right? There's so many great insights from, exactly. from each of us. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Well, yeah, I want to thank you as well for taking time out of your day. I know it's finals week, so <laughs> even like doubly thanks. No. Truly grateful for that. It's been so a pleasure. Thank you, Sarasia, for spending time here, spending this, sharing your energy with me. Um, and hopefully we can create that energy and take yes. that into finals week for you, take that <laughs> into um, a busy week for me, yeah. into a productive week for me. So, um, and share it with others, Definitely. with our family, with our community, and with everyone else. Definitely. So thank you again for your time. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Size Eyes and the Casually Profound series. I'll see you guys next time.